right, everybody. We are live with another episode of Views from the Bench. Today's guest is Coach Billy Senegal, uh, who currently is the assistant coach at Sheboygan High School. Um, you've had some hockey factory um, coaching in you, and, and then you've also done uh, some with the Sheboygan Youth Hockey. So, uh, Billy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate yep. the opportunity. Awesome. Uh, one of the things I want to get into before we get into this, uh, can you give me a little background on your playing history? Sure. Um Grew up in the Chicagoland area, played a lot of travel hockey, Skokie Flyers for a couple of years, uh, <clears throat> Northwest Chargers for the bulk of my career, yep. youth career, um, probably second year squirts through Bantams, uh, then played a year midgets for the Chicago Flames out of Glen Ellen. Uh, from there, um, I, I was a 17-year-old senior at a late birthday, so I had a couple options after that. Uh, one option was play another year of travel hockey or and go to a community college or uh, take an opportunity up and go to a, a junior trial which i knew little about yep and that opportunity presented itself from a spring league coach that i have um that i had matt goff that but i asked hey would you have any interest in playing juniors you know what are your aspirations for playing and i said i would love to play college hockey um i didn't have a real lot of confidence thinking i was going to go play d1 i knew i wasn't going to go play d1 I wanted to try and play as far as I can. So went to a Danville tryout, open camp. Um, they asked me to come back for the main camp. They said, we like your aggressiveness. We love your style. You're just not big enough, not strong enough. We'd like to tenure you and send you off to St. Louis, to the Jungle B in the CSHL. So played in the central um, states. I uh, got called up a handful of times. And from there, um, got enough exposure to be recruited by Marion, Rich Blakey. And then I played four years over at Marion. Uh, three coaches over at Marion, Rich Blakey, he left beginning in my freshman year. Then I had Joe Mussey and Paul Caulfield, and then he changed the program from there. You bring up the Jungle Bee. I'm also an alumni of the Jungle Bee. Uh, yep. You know what? That that league did a lot of good for people. Um, it was a, it's not the way it is right now as far as a platform to get kids to NCAA, but back when we were coming up, um, this, uh, the Central States, like it sent a lot of players to NCAA ranks. And um, absolutely, I have, uh, yeah. I still keep in contact with a lot of guys that I played juniors with in my billet families and stuff. And um, we were reflecting back on pictures, and there were, there were nine kids from our team that either went D1 or D3. Yeah, most D1. Yep. And now, now the, the Central States, like that's also turned into the NA3, which Correct. um, is it's still a great junior league for kids getting their starts and things like that. And it's also a good. Uh, it's a good league for players to, you know, you know, hopefully it's a stepping stone to the NA or maybe another junior league in Canada or something like that too. And you're seeing players out of that league, uh, you know, they're, they're they're continuing their career, which is great to see either the ACHA or hopefully NCAA ranks. But um, one of the interesting things I found about your playing career, and I hope you, you can elaborate on a little bit, is you didn't really play too much tier one AAA hockey growing up. Um, I didn't play AAA hockey. Yeah, and that's one of the things I love about your story and your career is that it shows that, like, you don't need to play Tier 1, right? You had the work ethic, you had the goals, and look where you ended up. Um, so, um, you know, and can you give me a little background and maybe why you never went Tier 1 and, and, and then how you kind of progressed out of that? So, Sure. Well, growing up in the Chicagoland area in the, in the late 80s, early 90s was similar to the Detroit area. Yeah. Um, there were only two AAA teams in Chicago, TI and CYA. Um, one of the reasons I wasn't good enough to make it and finances was another, yeah. um, my parents really couldn't afford that. And one of the benefits of playing in the Chicagoland area is we had an abundance of great coaches that played at a higher level, 
Um, I mean, I had a different coach every, pretty much every other year that contributed towards um, helping me develop. Yep. And, uh, and, the, and the player, the, 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 the talent level, the caliber as well, I mean, everyone was really motivated and um, uh, pushing each other to try to be the best that they can be. So we didn't we didn't need to play the tier one and spend the thousands of dollars to do that. We had enough inner level double A hockey caliber talent ability. Yeah, and that's similar to my playing career. I played tier one growing up all the way through Peewees, and then when I got to uh, Bantams, it uh, I got cut and I had to go back down and play the tier two double A hockey, such as what you played um, with Skokie and a few of the other uh, programs you were with. And I tell you, those two years that I played double A hockey made me the player I, I am today. I was in college and everything like that. And I don't think if I played those uh, that tier two hockey that I'd been able to be what I ended up being in my, as far as my career. And, um, and I think that's one of the interesting things. Sometimes kids think they need to, or parents think they need to play AAA hockey or they need to play on the best teams. And that's just not the case anymore. Like there's great hockey that you can have playing at the AA level. And case in point yourself, you can still make it the NCAA. Correct. Um, you know, that's something I wish, I hope more parents hear of, because a lot of times when it comes down to kids making to the NCAA, it's, it, it's not a determination on what team you play for. It usually just comes on how much you want it for, as, as a player. Um, there's opportunities sure. everywhere, and, and it's true. If you're good enough, they're going to find you. So That's correct. Yep. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, you know, I was never drafted. I was never, like, uh, asked really besides my spring league coach to go to a junior trial. I just had to go there and prove it. And going to that trial was extremely intimidating. Looked down the bench, you know, there's 40 kids. Coach uh, George Miserani and Craig Haggs were taking four forwards and uh, five defensemen. Um, that's when I made the transition from forward to D. I was a forward my whole life. I'm like, ah, oh, better odds are looking better if I play defense. So um, I played defense the rest of my career. Yep. And as your playing career ended, uh, you, you spent some time with me on the Fond du Lac Bears. That's how we got to know each other. Some great experiences I've had with you there as a teammate, uh, as a friend, and then even getting to compete with you in some of these adult tournaments after our years at the Bears has been has been really fun. But uh, can you give me a little bit of background in your coaching history? Sure. So um, my dad was also a coach. Played yep. against him many times. He probably coached me one year when I was a mite. Um, so he would always ask me to come out to some of his practices when he was coaching and he was coaching a, a team called uh, the Chicago Express. They would compete against the bears and nationals and stuff. Yeah. And I'd go to all their practices. Uh, when I come back from juniors in college, he'd ask me to come out and skate. I always loved doing it, giving back to the kids. Um, always just messing around with them as well. And then when I was in college, uh, Fond du Lac being such a great development program or organization, uh, they always had some of the Marion players come out and help with the youth players. So I did that periodically as well. And I really started getting into coaching when my son started playing. Exactly. So he's a three birth year. And um, we, we started in uh, in Sheboygan just to see if he would like it. You know, he didn't like it really at first. And um, it, it really, my coaching was derived from being able to help the kids where I feel that they were being neglected because they didn't have coaches with experience that were coming in there. There were a lot of baseball dads, basketball dads coming in, barely skate, or maybe just played at the high school level. And, uh, you know, they I, I feel that it's extremely crucial at the ages in between 4, 10, and maybe even 11 and 12 that skating, the, the fundamentals of skating, the mechanics are the most important. If they can't do that, they're not going to be able to play the game. And I, I also am an advocate of demonstration. You know, if you have coaches that are out there that aren't, able to demonstrate, find somebody who is. Um, I'm very active in all of our practices. 
Um, I try to demonstrate as I'm getting older, I'm 43. Uh, my edge work isn't what it used to be, but I'm still out there trying to show them the mechanics, the fundamentals, the edge work, the balance, et cetera. Yep. And um, yeah, I, I just try to try to always reinforce demonstration. It's not a chalkboard coaching game. That's what's great. You bring up you bring up your, your the way you got into coaching uh, with the other coaches that were around you at the time. And I've had the experience with a lot of those coaches as well that you you kind of groomed along the way. And I think that's something that experienced coaches should start trying to do a little bit more often. Is that sometimes we get on the ice and we're so worried about the kids that we're coaching that sometimes our communication with the coaches that we're on the ice with is kind of neglected. And I, I know you've done a fantastic job. And not just coaching your kids, but coaching the coaches that are around you right now, because I've seen some of those coaches around you and you're able to instill in them what you want. And you're able to uh, explain things to them so that when they're off in their small groups or maybe even years later when they are forced to maybe coach their own teams, that they've been able to come back and, and use what you've taught them. And that's something that I think, you know, it's kudos to you as, as a coach. You've been able to not just coach the kids, but you've done a great job. To be able to coach the other coaches out there and i think that's something that as a as an organization kind of you know person myself i look at it as I, I love those coaches who are able not just to give back to kids but they're able to share that knowledge with their coaches who later on will then use that information to help kids and, and grow the game even more so um you know kudos to you on that one as well appreciate it um you know uh we get we we talk about this a lot and um you know can you give me the first five minutes of your practice sure um try to try to uh definitely establish the tone and tempo of what the practice is going to be like I, I always bring the kids in right away I, I i seem repetitive i feel repetition is a key component to success in this game yep. um in terms of what edges you're using how you're using your hands uh, your body positioning so I, I always bring the kids in, just let them know. I expect, I, I reiterate the expectations yep. that I have with them. And I always give a presentation at the beginning of the year of the, these are expectations that I have of you every practice, every game. Same with parents. Um, so it's a lot of edge work. It sound, it seems like some basic fundamentals, my kid including is like, why do we have to do these stupid drills all the time at the beginning of practice? It's because we're getting our blood flowing, we're working our edge work so we can work on some more progressive drills as the practice goes on. So it's, it will consist of circles, forward to backwards, transitions, uh, lateral movement, heel to heel, warming up the goalies, you know, incorporating a lot of passing. Uh, you had brought up working with other coaches as well. Uh, when, when, I, when I like working with coaches, I, I try to work with coaches or ask coaches to help me that bring a different skill set that I don't have, um, forward capabilities. You know, I'm, I'm very defensive minded. So I, I always like to have a, a forward mentally a forward coach that could help reinforce that part of the game yep. where, I, where I don't bring that. That's a, that's an area that I lack. Um, incorporating a lot of passing. Um, uh, my buddy Fleming, you know, Flem, Flem and I were running some practices in Sheboygan and the coaches were asking us, are you guys always that involved? Absolutely. We're involved in every practice, little yep. touch passes back and forth, making sure that they're getting comfortable because it's a, it's a passing game. If they can't make a six foot pass, 12-foot pass, how are they going to survive during a game when there's a lot of pressure on them and a lot of moving parts? Yep. So let's go through these basic drills of fundamentals, going around cones, making a pass to a coach, getting it back. Same thing, repetition, repetition, repetition. Yep. And you can change up the um, – what I like to do is I, I like changing up the, the, the direction of the drills. I'll set up cones, 
Go forward to backwards round one cone. Make a pass. And you get it back. Forward to backwards. Give and go. Forward to backwards. If not, um, go to the boards. Come out lateral movement. Get get comfortable moving laterally. Yeah. Uh, what I've learned as a player, uh, the most successful people on the ice are primarily moving laterally across throughout throughout the throughout the ice, not just up and down. Everybody can skate forward and backwards really fast. It's the guys that have the transition and the cap- the ability to move laterally that creates more time and space for themselves. So I try to really enforce that during my drills. Yeah. And that's you brought, Yeah. You brought up two things that I think are super important uh, for, for new coaches or maybe coaches uh, that maybe lack some experience in coaching, but you brought up two things that, that I, I keep saying over and over again. And it's, it's, it's the tone of the practice of so that first five minutes sets the tone for the rest of the practice. And I, I, I'm a firm believer in that first five minutes, if you're moving, if you guys are going, that the rest of your practice is going to be great. And the second thing you brought up, too, that I really like was participation with the coaches. I know you're a super involved coach during your practices. When I find that the coaches get involved early in the practice, it leads to more excitement during the practice, right? Coach, then all coaches see that, or like players see that. And they're like, oh, like coach is moving. Like, coach is hollering. Coach is getting on us. Like, and you know, like you do a drill and coach does it faster than you. What is, what does that do to the kids? They're like, oh, I, well, I got to move now. I got to get going. Yep. So two things that I think is perfect for new coaches to hear is that if you want a good practice, start in the first five minutes with your tone. With You set the tone there. You're actually practicing it great. Secondly, coaches be involved. Like it, you have to be involved. It, it makes and – and if you're a head coach, get your assistant coaches involved, right? Please. Like, yeah, don't just lean on the boards and sit back and watch the practice, okay? There's plenty of time to do that. There's plenty of time to sit there and analyze kids and help correct things too. But at the same point, maybe when the drill starts, you're the one that's first on the line going, right? That right. sets the tone for that drill and lets the coaches know, hey, coach is involved. Plus, it's a great way for um, for you to uh, properly inform and, and kind of demonstrate that drill, right? Because you talk about coaches being involved that, that can do the drill, right? Coach, the kids see you doing the drill that's going to also help them understand the drill a little bit more, right? Understand what you want out of the drill too. So two things I think coaches, uh, newer coaches should probably pay attention to and, and try to learn from. So, um, and then going off that, um, can you give me the last five minutes of practice? What are you looking for? What are you doing? Sure. Well, to build off like the beginning, your yep. first question, you know, set the tone, the intensity, and then the rest of the practice. And one thing I can't emphasize enough is be prepared for your practices. Yep. Uh, set 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 up your practice plan the night before, mm-hmm. even if it's hours before you practice. But go in there prepared with an objective of what you want to achieve for that session. Um, and then they they become more progressive. And you could use the same drills day in and day out, but it will continue to evolve. Yep. As as it, it progresses, because it's progressive. Um, at the end, if if you run a good practice, the kids are going to be gassed. You don't need to really bag skate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always try to make sure that we're incorporating the conditioning in there as well. But at the end of practices, I try to um, definitely do individual battles, small area games, just to see which kids are really have the drive, really have the want to win those individual battles, because that's going to help me make a decision during game time. All right, this kid's gassed. He's got the conditioning in him. He's going to want to win every individual battle and do whatever he can for the betterment of the team. Yep, That's what I'm looking for. And that's a good point. You bring up being gassed at the end of practice, right? And um, and that's something that I, I think coaches nowadays, they're getting into with that last minute, last 45 seconds, last 30 seconds of a game. Uh, we're not putting out our best kids, right? No. We're putting out the kid that we trust the most. That's correct. And, 
And the only way we learn that is in that last five minutes of practice, right? Yep. That last five minutes is the best indicator of who still got it the last 30 seconds of the game. Mentally. Yes. And there are so many things that go on through a game that as the game's on the line, we we don't look for the best players. We look for the right players and we look for the ones we trust. Correct. If you can be one of those players that we trust and we know is going to do what we need to get done, you're going on the ice. That's more PT. And then eventually that leads to more confidence and that leads to a bigger role on the team. So, yeah. yeah I'm a firm believer. I, I think either Craig Heggs or uh, Caulfield was, would always reemphasize, you know, you guys may have all the ability in the world, but we're looking for the guys with the smarts. Yep. The game 80% mental, 20% physical. Mm-hmm. That's something I try to instill in the kids all the time. Yeah. You no, know, and that's where that's where the endurance during the practice comes in because when you're when you're fatigued, you're obviously not going to be making the, the sharpest decisions. Mm-hmm. But if you have the mental stamina that can with with hand that physical endurance, you're going to be making better decisions, which is going to lead to you getting more playing time at the end of the game. Yeah. Not because you're a goal scorer on the team. Yep. One of the things I've I've been noticing a lot, especially at the NCAA level, um, at the D1 level and stuff like that, is when they have the three on three overtime. Yeah. Right? Obviously, there are some players, and it's probably the top 5% that are just unbelievably skilled, right? They, they're going to be on the ice just because their talent level sets them apart from everybody else. But after that, one player, maybe two on each team, the coaches are looking down the bench at the player that they, they feel is the smartest, right? Because you're playing three on three. There's not really much positioning going on. So what we're looking for is a player that's smart while they're tired. And we want to be able to play, know what player we can trust that's not going to do something that Maybe you won't win us the game, but it's definitely not going to cost us the game. So, yep, yep. And that's one of the things that I think is really valuable in, in what you're saying right now with the last five minutes and things like that is that limiting your mistakes, especially when you're tired. You get tired, your brain kind of starts shutting down, right? So that's one that's a, that's a great point you brought up. Um, now, you brought playing back in the jungle beef. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, like I said, I played in that league as well, and it, w- it was interesting playing in it. Um, and, you know, playing in Chicago back in the late 80s, early 90s, um, the game has changed. It's evolved. Um, what are some things, what's the, or what's the biggest thing that you think has evolved in the game of hockey from when you played to when your son Tyler plays now? Uh, the speed, for sure. The skating ability, the mechanics of the skating. Um, I mean, science has evolved. We use the data to help educate the next generation on what is the proper stride, the efficiency of mm-hmm. uh, the utilization of the blade, your legs, your body positioning, your arms. I mean, there's coaches out there that specialize in obviously skating and, and, and the strides, but what I notice is majority of the kids are really good skaters. Yep. Um, another thing I noticed is subjective opinion. The game has become a lot softer than mm-hmm. what I played. Um, yeah. There's more um specified roles out there you know and kids try to kids try to um they try to replicate what they see on youtube okay yep. they see it they see a, a particular player and like i'm gonna style my play after that guy uh something i noticed is that um there's not a lot of utilitarian players out there you know players that know how to play all positions or all different facets of the positional game if it's in the offensive zone, neutral zone, defensive zone, you know, you have just a uh, single minded, single tracked mentality out there where kids just want to play a specific role. And um, I see the pros, but I also see a lot more cons because when it comes down to it, you know, the kids need to do whatever they, they can 
to help the team win because it yep. is a team sport. It's not just about me and I'm going to get that last point or last assist. What about the kids that are laying down, sacrificing their body, blocking shots, which turns into a breakout, a yep. break, a breakout pass? What about the kids that are finishing a check, which results in a turnover that results in an odd man rush? Yep. I, I really don't see that anymore. Um, I see a lot of drive-bys. Uh, I, know, I know the rules have changed significantly. Yep. Uh, there are loopholes, and, and that's the discretion of the, the referees that are out there. Yep. But the game, there's always going to be a physical presence out in the game, and I see a lot of kids deviating away from it. Yep. I, I love that you brought up um, utility players and, and kids not doing that, because it's one of the things that we stress uh, at the younger youth levels right now at, at squirts and peewees and things like that, is I love the fact that a kid – and, it, and it's not just the fact that the kid understands how to play forward or D, right? Because that's what most people assume. Like, that's what we mean when we say utility players. But that's not what we mean at all. Personally, like, what I mean is I getting kids to play all positions is giving kids roles within the game that change, right? Correct. Sometimes you want kids to be that playmaker, right? If that kid's not moving the puck enough, you say, like, no, I want you moving the puck more. If you tell a player who's a who's a maybe watch a lot of those YouTube videos and is, is one of those, like, you know, uh, you're a goal scoring type, real fancy player. You tell them that your role today is blocking five shots. That's what you're doing today. And if you get kids at an early age to just not fill into a position, but fill into a role on that team and change those roles within a game, game by game, you're going to see those players start to evolve more. Because as you know, getting to juniors in college isn't easy. And when you get to a junior team or a college team, your role changes and it changes quick. You might have been the stud on your high school team that's scoring 50 goals a season, but the moment you walk into a junior locker room, you're the low man on the totem pole. If you want to play, you better figure out how to play, and you better figure out where you fit in. And it's one of the hardest adjustments I see kids making all the time is, well, I've only been a goal scorer. It's like, well, you've only been a goal scorer because when you've been squirt, peewee, bantam your whole career, that's all you've ever been told that's what your role was. And that's a real disservice to the kids lately is that, like, those are the pigeon, you know, they've been pigeonholed into that role you know, I'm only a goal scorer. Like, I don't know how to play PK. Well, you know what? Shame on your coaches for not teaching that earlier. But I see that there, there's we've been getting away from that utility player and teaching kids their roles within a game to help them when they get to juniors or college or even their high school teams. You know, like, we talk to our high school coaches and they're like, well, you know, like, I, I have nobody that can kill PK on my team. Well, why is that? Well, because nobody wants to kill PK. But the kid, there's always one kid out there who's going to want to kill that PK. And guess what? He's in, the, he's in the lineup every night from a freshman on, right? Yep. So... I like that a lot. Um, one of the things I want to talk about is, is – I feel is, a lot if I could just piggyback on that. I mean, I feel the, the coaches that are teaching the kids from, you know, mites through through Bantams, teach them the all-encompassing game and not just role-specific game yep. at that point will only help the kid in the future. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because it will be an easier adaptation point when a coach that's screaming at you like, this is the kind of player I need you to be yep. or you're out of here – well, I don't know how to be that kind of player. All right, now I'm getting traded. I've yep. seen, it. I've seen it a handful of times where kids just quit because they can't fulfill the expectations because they only know the one style of play. Yep, absolutely. Um, you've been on some successful teams uh, throughout your career. Um, you know, what was one of the teams that was successful that you were on? And then give me a reason why that was successful. Um. Won a couple of state championships with the Chargers. Um, I, that was Phantom year. Uh, in juniors, it was in, in St. Louis, we had a very successful team. We lost it to 
Motor City Chiefs. Um, and in college, my junior and senior years, we were successful. And the one characteristic that those all had in common is that all the kids bought into the coach's system. Yep. They understood what their role was within the team, how to contribute with their role towards the success of the betterment of the team. Yep. That's important. And that's also something that's taught, right? Like we go yes. back, to, we go back to utility players, like yep. getting kids to understand their role on a team is something that's taught in the early years. Right. And it's taught by, even though you're the best kid, I want you to do something different today. So that helps out when those players get to the college. And, you know, it's one of the great things you saw with the St. Louis blues when they won the cup, like, Everyone talked about how, you know, they're in last place, right? But nobody, and it gets, it's been brought up quite a bit too. Everyone talks about their locker room, right? How it was one cohesive unit. They all were playing for each other. They all, and then when Brube came in, they all bought into what he did, right? Yes. And a lot of that's because they've all been taught to play the game. They've right. been taught to buy into what the coach said, and they've been taught to coach. And, that, and then that's what instantly turned that team around. And I think that's a huge characteristic of, of successful teams as well. Supporting um, each other. That's another big proponent yeah. of that. Everyone needs to learn how to support each other. You may not get along with each other off the ice, but as soon as you put on that same color jersey, you're going to do whatever you can to help that teammate be successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Coaches um, recognize that and teammates recognize that. Mm -hmm. um, in regards to, and we talked about earlier with your assistant coaches and stuff like that, can you give me some of the roles and responsibilities you've given to your assistant coaches over the years? Sure. Um, I'd like to attribute what I'm about to say to Dean Dionovich. Uh, when I started coaching in Fond du Lac, I think a uh, second year squirt, um, he brought myself and uh, the other coach in the locker room. He's like, I just want to hear from everybody what you think your role is on this team. And then he, he, him being the head coach, defined our role. Here's my strengths, Dino. Here's, here's how I feel I contribute. I appreciate that, Bill, but I think you're good at this, and this is what I would like you to focus on. So that's what I've taken moving forward. Uh, every coach that I've asked to help, it, they, they're there because they have a different skill set that I don't have. Mm -hmm. And I try to establish those expectations and roles right out of the gate. Same with the team and the parents. Presentation every year. I don't care if you heard it one time. It's about a half hour. It's a PowerPoint presentation. One time or you've heard it ten times. It's going to be the same thing. Philosophy may change because of the personnel. Um, the goals may change because of the personnel, but they're always going to hear the same goals, expectations established at the beginning of the year. So can't deviate away from that once it's established. Yeah. And you bring up goals and you bring up responsibilities. When do you address with your teams, the, like the responsibilities? And you said beginning of the year, like, is it first practice, second practice, or, or is it before even your first practice, is it right after trials? When do you set the values and the goals and responsibilities for your teams? I try to do it as soon as possible. It depends on the, the ice availability with the team. Um, yep. Ideally, I would like to do it before we even touch the ice, have a parent and player meeting. Uh, sometimes you're not that fortunate because just the way the ice is scheduled. Uh, the sooner you can do it, the better. And again, be prepared with what you're going to talk about, what your coaching philosophy is. What are the expectations and goals for the kids? What are the expectations for the parents? Okay. Um, so uh, a few more questions for you. Um, you know, what is one piece of advice that maybe you have for some youth hockey parents right now? If you have a good coach in place, let them coach. Yep. Um, yep. I, I've been exposed to – I've been fortunate to coach a great group of kids and some, some parents, but there are always the parents that parents that deviate away, yeah. thinking they know more. <clears throat> um, 
And they don't understand what we're trying to do as a team. They're not in the locker room. They're mm -hmm. not on the ice. They don't really hear what we're talking about inside the glass. Yep. Um, a great example is we were coaching a team. I was coaching a team. Um, we won, I'd say, 90% of our games. And I'd say 95% of those games, we were shorthanded about half the game. Yeah. Parents are screaming, ice the puck, ice the puck. I'm like, the kids are saying, my dad's telling me to ice the puck. No, we're not icing the puck. We can control the puck with four guys. We're yeah. dominating this game right now. Control the puck. Let's work on things that we've been working on during practice. Don't listen to your parents. This is mm -hmm. what we're working on as a team. This is what we need to focus on for the betterment of the team. Yep. Quotes. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's it's. I love the fact you put team in quotes because that's that's a lot of a lot of times what parents sometimes don't get is that if we as a team are successful and we as a team are accomplishing what we need to do, that's better for the individual, Absolutely. right? And I think if parents look at that as like, okay, I got to do what's best for the team, then it's going to be what's best for my kid. Um, you'll see a lot more of that interaction with the coaches and 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 parents buying into let their coach coach, right? Sure. Um, and that's the thing is too, is like, sometimes I just tell parents, just trust your coach. There's a reason why he's the head coach. There's a reason why someone picked him to be the head coach. It's the parent's job to trust that, right? Correct. Now, if, um, if, if, if parents can trust the coach and allow them to do their job, then what's going to happen is you're going to have a successful season, right? Correct. And just as much as the kids want to buy in, parents need to buy in too. Agreed. Uh, like you can't have a parent sitting there telling their kid in the car, like sometimes we call it car ride confessions, um, <laughs> where you have a parent that will be in there telling their kid to do something opposite that's totally contradicting what the coach is saying. And then the next thing what happens is a snowball effect. Of, it's like almost like a snowball effect and a self-fulfilling prophecy of why wasn't that coach successful? Well, you know, and what the parent's saying in the car is, is don't do what the coach said, which only reinforces it to – you know, the parent later on, they, the coach wasn't successful. But the reason why the coach wasn't successful is strictly because of that one parent undermining what the coach is saying. So, yep. And that kid brings it in the locker room and then he's got, he's got his parents. <laughs> I mean, it's like a cancer. Yep. You don't cancer a locker room. And if you have that one kid that's listening to his parents all the time that comes in the locker room and he's got, he's got some, not authority, but, um, He's got other kids following him. What do you think is going to happen? They're going to jump on his bandwagon, and then everything goes downhill from there. Yep. <clears throat> being a coach for yourself and or being a coach, what is one of the most rewarding things you – one of the more rewarding reasons why you coach? A um, couple things. I mean, first and foremost is watching the kids develop and execute things that we've been working on. Yep. I think it's most gratifying. Mm -hmm. um, I alluded to earlier that, you know, a lot of my drills are repetitious, yep. especially at the beginning when we're getting the blood flowing. Um, I have screamed at kids before in a positive manner. Yep. That's why we do that stupid drill over and over and over again. Look how you just won that individual battle, made a yep. great pass, went to the net, little touch and goal. That's why we do that stupid drill. Yep. It's most gratifying for me when the kids are able to execute what we've been working on. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, going into, we have two last questions left, but one of the last questions I have for you here real quick is I want to bring in a special guest to ask the question. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I would, let's see here. There he is. I would like to welcome your dad. <laughs> uh, hey guys. 
Um, so I'd like to welcome your dad onto the views from the bench. Uh, Bill Senegal Sr., how you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. Um, one of the awesome things I find about hockey is the generational bonds that happen. And um, I asked your dad to come on and ask one of the last few questions because um, your dad is the head coach of the Sheboygan Varsity Hockey Team. Uh, you coach with him. And uh, your dad gets the opportunity to coach your your uh, your son, Billy Tyler. And I love that. I love that generational bond that you guys have together. So I asked your dad to come on and ask uh, one question in regards to, and Coach Bill, you can take it away. All right, uh, Bill, what are some of the negative and positives of coaching a son or daughter? <laughs> And you really can't use me as an example because I never really coached it, but for about three months. Right. So it's all I knew, bud. <laughs> um, some of the – I'll hit the negatives first. Some of the negative things is, um, you know, you hold your child to a certain expectation because he hears it all the time. Yep. Uh, he's been coaching you uh, – you've been coaching your child since – learn to skate and um he sees the way that others respond to you mm -hmm. and that the coach myself see the way that kids are responding to the instruction and the guidance that i'm providing yep. and then I, you watch your kid and he's not executing the same way and it's just like oh, i want to do it my own way it's like no that first of all this is disruptive to the team um you're deviating away you have an individual mentality i think that's the most challenging thing is um just holding your holding your kid to a certain expectation because he's your kid. Yep. Um, not only on the ice, but in the locker room. You know your behavior in the locker room, your behavior in the lobby, your behavior in the uh, in the in the hotels. Mm -hmm. You know, you get in trouble. That's a bad reflection on us, both yep. of us. Um, so that that's extremely challenging coaching your own child. Yep. Uh, some of the positives, you know, seeing the success when when um, him and his teammates are successful together. Um, Another negative is not being able to um, embrace your child's success because you are the coach. Yep. It's rare that you – I mean, you could ask any of the coaches that I probably worked with, if you ever really see me cheer for when my kid has a, scores a goal or has a nice assist. Mm -hmm. I'll be, I'll be uh, more theatrical, if you want to say, when I see my kid go out there and lay down and block a shot and sacrifice yep. his body than as if you go out there and dangle three people and snipe one. Yep. Um, that's no interest to me. I want I want my kid as long as the other kids to play for each other, not yep. themselves. Yeah, and that's interesting because I I go through the same thing as as a dad is coaching. And, and granted, my daughters are only six and five right now, but it's it's difficult holding your kids to a, a different standard, right? And most times people don't understand that. What I mean by a different standard is. I hope, like, if, if something negative happens, like, you know, um, especially, like, this is just the U8 level, but someone needs to go out every third shift, not every other shift. I'm the first one who has to look at my daughter and say, hey, you're going to have to go out every third shift. And it's because I'm I'm the one who ultimately has to answer that. And it's all about, um, it's about, you know, you know, optics at times and things like that. And, um, you know, my daughter asked me, why don't I get out more? I'm like, well, it's because I'm the coach and I'm held to a different standard. Yeah. Um, and then that's the other thing too is that like you really can't ever talk about your kids, right? You can't pump them up. You, you can't, uh, you know, you you can't 
be the person that uh, you know like says, "Oh, you had a great game today," because then it's the optics. It looks bad. Correct. And as you as you so badly want to give your kids sometimes an ounce of like, "Hey, that we played great," you're still stuck in that role of, "I can't," because like then it's the opposite of looking bad, and um, and that's where sometimes coaching your own kids not fair, <laughs> you know. It was enjoyable from my perspective, you know, from learn to skate, probably to ban them. And then once, once everyone almost got to the same level, and this is when we were with the gamblers, yep. um, then it got a lot more competitive. Uh, yep. We were able to see that inner team competition during practices and yep. stuff. Um, and one thing, one thing that I would encourage is if you are going to be a, a coach and you're, you're delegating responsibilities, if you're primarily a, a forward minded coach, Coach defense. Yep. I'm primarily a defensive-minded coach. My kid likes playing like Ryan Blick. Yeah. I always just give someone else him. I don't like coaching the forwards. I'll coach yep. the D. I'll oversee the infrastructure of the team, but I will run the D. You empower your coach, making sure he has those qualifications to run the forwards. Correct. And that's where I that's where I feel I've avoided a lot of conflict. Yeah. Why is your kid always out there? Well, I'm not I'm not running the forwards, buddy. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot. We talk about a lot about uh, empowering your assistant coaches, right? Yes. Uh, we brought it before, and that comes with communication on your and, and the roles and responsibilities that, as head coaches, we give to our assistant coaches is that is that we give them the ability to make changes on the fly, or at least that's what successful head coaches do. They're able to empower their coaches to make changes on the fly, make line changes, uh, pick who and when is out there, and that helps when you have your own kid on the ice because then it alleviates the whole. Well, I, that's not my call, but. You know, in the end, sometimes parents, no matter what happens, they're going to look at that as it is your call. But the reality is, is that you've given your assistant coaches enough power to make those calls. And you know in your heart. And that's why it's so difficult coaching your kid. And it's so frustrating because no matter what, there's always a parent on a car ride confession home that's going to say something like that, you know. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, Coach Bill Senegal Sr., I want to say thank you so much. You can stay on, too. I got one last question for uh, Coach Bill. Um, it's... Uh, Coach Billy, I want you to go back in time to a young 12 or 13-year-old uh, you and give yourself one piece of advice. Uh, and it could be a, it could be a concept like, you know, I, you know, I wish I wouldn't have listened to my buddies as much. Or it could be something as, as small as I wish I just was faster. Um, so what would that one piece of advice you give yourself? If I could go back, um, I wish I applied myself more in school. I know it's okay. not to hockey. Yep. I applied myself more in school because it kind of pigeonholed myself for future opportunities when I got to the junior level. Yep. When I was playing juniors, I, uh, I had terrible high school grades. Um, again, I was my options were to play another year of midget AA or go to a community and go to a community college, um, Harper College in uh, Palatine, or uh, go attempt to play juniors. So I played juniors and I went to a community college just so I could get my grades up to be accepted into a school. Yep. Um, I always try to put a lot of emphasis on, especially at the beginning of the year, you know, hockey's privilege, not a right. School comes first. Yep. Um, if you don't maintain your grades, there's not going to be one coach that is going to be looking at you. You know, it may be different in football, baseball, and basketball for the collegiate level, but, you know, college players historically always are able to pull off great grades. I mean, they're always, you know, and that's an incentive for college players as well. Um, I know when I went to Marion, they subsidized a portion of my education just because I made a 2.5 GPA. Yeah. Holy cow, now I'm a student athlete and I got a 3.0 and 
you know, now I get other people that are throwing grants at you. Yep. Just because you're able to maintain your grades, you show that you're a respectful individual in the community, and you do whatever you can for your team. Yep. Um, another thing I, I wish I, I worked on, and it wasn't as prevalent back then, um, some more off, off, excuse me, off ice training. You know, we didn't have all the different techniques and uh, different models that are out there today. We had weight training. That's it. Or go run, right? Uh, I wasn't exposed to polymetrics till juniors. I'm like, what is this crap? I mean, this this is exhausting. But little did I know how I was building the muscles that I needed to perform better on the ice. And another thing I learned from Hags is, is uh, Craig Hags is, if you if you fail to prepare, you're preparing to fail. Yep. Off ice training is more important when you get to a certain level than on ice training is. Mm -hmm. um, I am a very strong believer that when kids are, and I don't mean to be long winded. But when kids are from the ages of 14 to 16 years old, whatever stride they have at that age, unless you get a private coach, that's the stride you're going to have for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Now it's time to build your muscles up around that stride so you can be more effective, can be more robust, yeah. can learn how to create more time and space for yourself because you have the strength and the speed. Yeah. And that, that goes, that's derived from off-ice training. Mm -hmm. Well... I just want to say that's all the questions I have for you today. I, I do want to, and this has been a great conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm happy you would come on and talk hockey with us. Um, Coach Bill Sr., I want to say thank you for coming on as well. Um, I hope that was a good surprise for you, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you got the computer. Hey, Ryan, I'd like to say something. Yeah. I'd like to say uh, what you've done for this community uh, since you graduated from Lawrence and took over the blue line. Uh, hats off to you. I appreciate that. I appreciate Absolutely, that. those sentiments. You, yeah. you really turned that program around, and you can see by some of the uh, '99 and on birth years that have been through your skates, through your models, that are are becoming very successful in the game, and uh, great people off the ice as well. So, awesome. for letting me be a part of it. Yeah, well, I'm I'm excited that you guys have been a part of it. I'm excited that more. I'm 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 happy that uh, Billy, I've roped you into another like 15 plus years of this um, with your youngest, and uh, and Coach Bill Senior, like I I truly do appreciate you when you come out to our practices, still help us run our summer camps and things like that. Um, you know, coach that U14 team and still heavily involved with what we do here at the ring. So guys, I just want to say thank you again for coming on. Uh, it's a real pleasure to have you guys here. And um, do you have any last things to add? Stay safe. Take care of your family. Yep. And uh, see you at the rink soon. Hopefully, yep. If I could just throw out one other thing, too. Yep. Um, with what everything is going on with this pandemic, there's no better time for kids to can start working out hard right now. Mm -hmm. This is a perfect opportunity for off-ice training. If you need a workout program, uh, reach out to Blick. I'll be more than happy to share some things that are yep. for off-ice. Um, this is a time because everyone's neglected of on-ice training. When you get on the ice, Everyone's going to be flat. Your edges are going to be off. Your hands are going to be off, but you'll have your strength and endurance. So be prepared for that. And yeah. it's intensity and consistency when you're working out. Don't be going to the gym or working out at your home gym and doing it half-assed because what are you going to get? Yep. Half-assed results. Yep. Intensity and consistency when you're doing that. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm glad. I, I'd love to end on that. So, guys, thanks again. And, uh, you know, good luck. And everyone out there, stay home, stay safe, and uh, good luck out there. Thanks, Blake. Yeah. Thanks. Later, guys. See ya.